0: Hello, and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing, and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. And now, your host, Norbert Strapler, the CEO of Sync Spider. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the e commerce ops podcast of Sync Spider. Today I'm happy to welcome Aaron. Hey Aaron. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you, Aaron? Everything cool? Yeah, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, Aaron, uh, let us dive right into the interview. How did you first get into e commerce, man?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. Um, so I'm a, I'm a supply chain guy. Uh, I studied supply chain at school, uh, was, was lucky enough to get into a competitive rotational program at Unilever. Uh, so I was there for about five years total. Um, and I, I got to do pretty much everything you can do at a big company. Uh, yeah. in, in supply chain. So I worked in planning, I worked in the factory floor as a production supervisor, uh, ran the North American international, international logistics team, and uh, was able to do quite a few big projects, um, high visible projects at, at Unilever. Uh, and was moving it pretty quickly and honestly thought I was going to be there for about 25 or 30 years. Um, Unilever is just a fantastic company, and I, I knew that I was lucky to be there. Um, but I also knew early on that I wanted to get into e-commerce, and so I tried to network my way into the Unilever e-commerce teams. Um, but it was kind of a, ca- a classic catch-22 where I didn't have any relevant experience for them to want me on the team, uh, but then I also knew that I couldn't get it at Unilever um, because of that. And yeah. so, you know, I also just came to the realization that, you know, Unilever is is really built around full pallets to, to Walmart, and uh, just wasn't going to be a leader in any commerce compared to some of the other companies anytime soon. So I started looking outside, and uh, around this time, I was introduced by a colleague to the founders of mm-hmm. Hubble Contacts, the direct consumer contact lens company. Uh, so Ben Kogan, Jesse Horowitz, uh, and they had just raised their seed round, and they, I think, they recognized that they actually had to pull pull this off and, and build a business. And so we got dinner one night and Jesse just bluntly asked, uh, so how do we supply chain? And, uh, you know, that, that really triggered a series of events and, and, um, and work streams where we decided to work together and uh, I effectively built out the entire supply chain from the ground up. So, uh, you know, sourced the factory in Taiwan, set up our parcel and fulfillment networks, uh, you know, built all the modeling, things like that. And ended up uh, joining Hubble full time and was responsible for customer service, quality, regulatory, and supply chain. Hubble. Oh,
1: cool. And, and one of the products that you currently contracted with is Mirror.co, um, which is really uh, an, an insane product. And uh, it's also interesting, they have. Uh, four point nine review rate of uh, five stars for of one hundred eighty one reviews so far, um, and and uh, the product is very interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so
0: I, I should. Uh, Mir's a fantastic company, and i have been really lucky to work with them. Um, I, uh, I I am I'm there as as the as a leader in, in the supply chain organization uh, as part of the the company that I started, Isba. And so uh, probably good to give you a little bit of background on that uh, and then dive into to some of the stuff there. But uh, basically with the success of Hubble, recognized almost immediately that, uh, you know, we were adding tens of thousands of subscribers beyond what we had anticipated, and we were able to meet that demand. And so we had uh, no stockouts, 30 days of inventory, and I was spending only about eight hours a week on the actual supply chain, uh, about 60 or 70 hours a week on the customer service side. And so uh, that, that insight, um, as well as kind of, Consulting and working with about uh, seven or eight other companies uh, helped me recognize that that startups really needed Fortune 500-level expertise, uh, but didn't necessarily need it full-time. And so I started this company called ISBA, which is an end-to-end supply chain consulting company uh, that that brings that Fortune 500-level expertise to companies on a fractional basis. And mm-hmm. so uh, we work with companies of all different shapes and sizes, from pre-revenue seed-shaped companies to companies that raise hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to Fortune 500 companies who are looking to get in the D.C. Awesome. And right. so I uh, have been really lucky to, to be with Mir uh, pretty much since the beginning in, in that capacity. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic product. And uh, anyone who is listening to this that, that doesn't have one should get one.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Well, um, I don't think it's for me, but even I'm interested. But uh, yeah, I'm not the sports guy, no workout guy. (laughs) Doesn't matter, but should do. I should do. Uh, And and what role um, uh, does automation play in the in the operations of your clients? Uh, Is is automation something that you're looking at? Yeah, it's something that you constantly have to look at. Uh, You know,
0: supply chain is really about. Uh, taking the ambitions of of the business and and uh, and it's kind of where the ambitions and and reality intersect, and how do you pull it off. And so you have to constantly be looking at automation, but I think you you have to be careful not to look for automations for automation's sake. And so uh, you know with most businesses that we'll work with, uh, they're they're reinventing themselves every twelve to eighteen months. And so I think one of the pitfalls that a lot of companies will run into, is uh, they, they will launch and say, okay, I think we need an ERP or we think we need a PO system or we think we need to do all this stuff. And if they don't have their core foundational processes set, they end up uh, automating something that uh, that either is incorrect and, and they're not able to change later on, uh, or they, they do something where it's kind of junk in, junk out, and it's not very good. So we're, uh, we're very much uh, fans of automation, but we have to make sure it's the right level of
1: automation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and are you noticing any trend of uh, parcel rates or uh, shipping? Or wh- where are they going in the next five to ten years? Yeah, you know that's a great question. Um, I think
0: you know over the next five to six months, there's going to be enormous movement on that front. Uh, you know, COVID has really been an accelerant for all the different trends that were going on. You look at uh, UPS and FedEx and and how. Uh, you know, even though the volume was growing in the residential deliveries, their profit was still coming from commercial. And with COVID basically gutting uh, the commercial, uh, you know, you've got a, a situation where uh, you've got all this low margin, negative margin revenue that's coming through the, the FedEx and UPS network. And so mm-hmm. they've had to um, to tighten things up. Uh, we've had some clients that have been turned away uh, by by some carriers uh, for you know they're not taking on new clients at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also seeing the COVID surcharges that are, that are coming that are most likely here to stay. And UPS just this last week uh, announced uh, you know, increasing the, the per parcel, not, not the base rate, but the per parcel rate by up to $3 for some e-commerce shippers. Okay. And so it's, it's getting incredibly more complex. And I think uh, you know, as you see uh, you know, this, this demand uh, increasing on, on the residential side, Uh, The carriers are just going to have to rebalance and and get the cost structure to where it needs to make sense for them. Uh, I think you'll also see uh, some development here in the United States where perhaps parcel lockers or other sorts of uh, delivery mechanisms that are are more prevalent in in Asia or or in Europe will start to make sense here because the densities will will, will be able to work out. And so Mm -hmm. if we're able to mimic something where a commercial carrier here in the U.S. can essentially have the same cost structure as a as a business delivery, then we should be able to better spot to get those rates come down. But I think, you know, it's going to be incredibly difficult, uh, especially in the next, you know, five or six months uh, to, to not have increases in in your parcel rates come through. And so it's just really important that you, you know, what you're looking for and uh, you know, you don't have to accept a rate increase, right? It's always yeah. helpful. And so if you've got the right team in your corner, uh, you can, uh, look to mitigate those at the very least, if not uh, push them down if you're going through
1: growing. Absolutely. Yeah, totally need to agree. Um, uh, have you have you seen uh, any e commerce businesses adding uh, resiliency into their supply chain uh, amidst during uh, COVID-19?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I would say that COVID was an accelerant for trends that were already happening. Mm-hmm. And so you look at uh, just the shift to e-commerce and how online grocery, for example, has has ballooned. You look at the shift toward near you know, onshoring or near-shoring, um, away from you know pure offshoring. A lot of these things that were already happening um, have have only become more important. And I think that there were companies that uh, were on their way out, quite frankly, who uh, have have kind of been pushed over the edge because of COVID. And the ones that are are left behind are going to be stronger. And so we've got a number of clients that we've worked with where uh, we didn't necessarily see COVID coming, but we we saw kind of some of the chinks in the armor for supply chain. And so we spent the last uh, eighteen to eighteen months to two years uh, really thinking through their capex plan, thinking through where their factories are located, thinking through uh, you know their their ERP and, and fulfillment network processes. And uh, you know when COVID hit, they were actually able to go on the offensive and to, mm-hmm. to soak up more retail space or more sales because they could deliver in ways that their competitors couldn't. Uh, you're also seeing lots of things where. Uh, You know, people are starting to move some factories uh, back to the United States uh, or, you know, to to near shore. And so in an instance where we don't know if quarters are going to be sealed or closed or we don't know if suppliers are going to to lock up, uh, you know, you just have to think through these things. And I know in the early days of of COVID, it kind of felt like whack-a-mole where you just look at the. Uh, you know, the headlines in, you know, this country and this supplier is, is shut down and, and is sealed for two weeks, or this person's no longer deemed essential, or these other factories are are out because of labor issues. And so, uh, you know, resiliency is definitely something you're going to have to do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of companies that we talk to that are moving from a single fulfillment center to a multiple, uh, you know, a regional strategy in order
1: to, to mitigate just this. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Um, what do you think uh, are the most common mistakes that e-com companies make when they design their operations?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I would say that uh, first I say two things. The first one is that I would say that 80% of the headaches that a company has or doesn't have come from a result of, of the way you design your supply chain. Mm-hmm. And I the single biggest mistake that I see companies make is when they're building a supply chain, they are, are building everything and gearing toward a launch and not toward a regular business. Um, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you're having a baby uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of work that happens and, and there's a lot of milestones, you know, for those nine months before the baby's born. But you know, if, if all you're doing is focusing on, on the birth, you kind of miss all the other stuff that comes afterward. And so we, uh, we, we find a, a lot of folks will uh, just focus on a factory that can do a minimum run and uh, we'll get them going. But they don't look at their forecast and say, hey, our ambitions are to grow by 150% each year. And you know, according to our own internal forecast, we think we're gonna outgrow our supplier in four or five months. Um, you know, that was one of the, the mistakes that luckily we didn't make at Hubble, where we had a fantastic manufacturer who we sourced uh, ahead of time and, and thought was great, went to Taiwan to visit them and just recognized that their their you know capacity was was a fraction of what we were going to need. If we were halfway successful, and so even though we love that partner and they were willing to do everything that we need to do, uh, you know, we we made the the right call then to say, you know, we're, we're not going to work with you, and worked with a much bigger firm, which allowed Hubble to uh, to grow and expand and, and be the, the business that it is today. Cool. Um,
1: and and uh, what do you think? What 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 does um, the the typical founder of a new web store? Need to consider before um, before he really starts um, going live and start the real marketing campaigns. What needs to be considered?
0: Well, that's a lot there.
1: Um, you know, I would say that
0: it's it's never too early to start thinking about your supply chain. Yeah. Uh, of course, you need to do the uh, the marketing work up front to figure out you know what messages resonate, what products you're going to do. Uh, but you know your supply chain is going to impact your cash flow needs uh, in, in payment terms. It's going to impact uh, your margin structure and, and who you're working with uh, from that perspective. But it's also going to impact your customer service uh, and, and kind of that, that customer satisfaction. And so, you know, I would say that as you're building, you're, you're working on the marketing messaging, you should also be thinking about what is that experience and what's the the value that your customer is going to do after. Is it something where uh, they are are really going to be interested in uh, in cheap products and, and fast delivery. Are you going more toward the personalization side? Uh, you know, there, there's a number of companies. Uh, you look at Chewy, who successfully competed with Amazon um, because of their customer service. You know, they they were willing to keep people on the phone uh, for as long as possible and, and try to surprise and delight. And you know, those are ways that you can you can distinguish yourself. And so it's not just all about the Facebook ads are all about having lowest price Are all about, you know, how things look. But there's it's a really holistic thing. And again, I, I consider supply chain to be the intersection between, you know, marketing ideas and ambition and, and reality. And so it's, it's really about how are you going to pull off the vision that you have? And if, if you take that definition, it's, it's never too early to start thinking about supply chain.
1: Okay. and um, for, for your clients, what is the most common uh, scenario? Do they have their own shipping centers in-house in the companies or do they outsource and and, and, uh, and, and put the, the, the storage somewhere else that other companies do the shipment or what, what is the most common cena- scenarios? Yeah, it's
0: a really good question. Uh, so first would say that there's no one size fits all for a company yeah. and, and we yeah. take a very uh, bespoke approach to each client. There have been instances where it makes sense to do self-fulfillment, uh, and there, there have been instances where it makes sense to use a 3PL. Uh, I would say that if your fulfillment, uh, your processes, or the way that you're going to do things is a competitive advantage, then uh, then then that's something that you, you'd want to own. Um, I, I know of one startup that uh, was in uh, the sock business who, uh, you know, was able to they decided to insource their fulfillment and do that. And they were able to embroider to add all this personalization mm-hmm. and to basically get the order and fulfill much, much faster than anybody else. And so that was a competitive advantage. And if, if someone wanted embroidered socks for Christmas, uh, you know, they could guarantee delivery by Christmas up until you know December 20th or 21st if, if someone mm-hmm. placed the order. Whereas if you're going with a 3PL, that's more of a cosplay, right? You're looking for more volume and, and margin savings there. And you just wouldn't be able to do that normally because it's going to take Uh, In most cases, at least 24 hours for the order to come through and then to to be manifest and shipped out. So it it really depends on what's unique to your brand and what is the the core differentiator they have in your business.
1: What I see and see more and more is uh, drop shipping directly from the directly from the manufacturer. So you 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 just get the contract with the manufacturer, you do the store, and and uh you let down drop ship your packages to the clients. Is this also a trend that you're um monitoring? it's certainly a trend. Uh I would
0: say that this is a trend that is actually starting to go out of favor. Um, you know, drop shipping is is very good if you are just selling a brand. Uh, with a generic commodity, right? Um, you are are basically tied to the abilities of that factory, and you know how how well are they at fulfillment? Just because somebody's good at making a sweatshirt doesn't mean that they're good at packaging something up so it looks good. Yeah, for the absolutely. Yeah, and so that's something you always have to think about. But if if you are a uh, you know an Amazon seller or someone who has a very small business and is looking for more of a lifestyle business. Uh, then, you know, drop shipping can be a great way to not have to worry about things. Um, there are a, a number of companies and services out there that we've seen where they're taking this drop shipping uh, convenience factor and, and moving it more toward uh, an outsourced place. And so you can still have the benefits of a fulfillment center or for, uh, you know, that, that higher level customer service. But from again, that small shop owner, it's essentially a dropship thing because it's a turnkey relationship. Yeah, and so yeah, uh, yeah it's it, those are the sorts of things
1: that, that we see popping up. Ah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's the same here. Um, it's it's just um, um a way that that people can really start selling quickly online. Don't need to take care about anything about packaging, packages itself. But of course, it makes a huge difference if you are packaging yourself especially if it's a high price product because you can do so much right within the package you can you can add um written letter uh with with is this package was packed by philip uh, especially for you uh if, if it's a lifestyle product or something like this so you can do a lot of things to make um to make the experience when someone opens the package um, very good and gives a uh, gives you a good chance to upsell, cross sell, or or get a review. Uh, so this is the the main benefit. I think when you package yourself, that you can do so much. Yeah, you're, um,
0: you're right,
1: and I, I think it goes back to the question
0: you asked a couple of minutes ago, where you know, do people use three PLs or they self fulfill? And, and it really comes down to what are you trying to do to distinguish yourself as a business, yeah. and You know, your fulfillment center is typically, uh, whether you're doing yourself or using 3PL, is is typically, uh, you know, your last line of defense before it gets to the customer. And so how do you make sure that, uh, you know, things are oriented in the box correctly or you have some sort of uh, packaging or or way to surprise and delight? Um, Yeah, it's a a great, great point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. um, Aaron, who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career?
0: Yeah, you know, it's there's it's hard to name just one or two. um, To be honest, so I've I've been lucky enough to work directly uh, and and intimately with about fifteen or sixteen different startup CEOs, and to be honest, I've learned something from each one. Uh, You know, whether it be about you know how they're thinking about the business, how they're thinking about uh, you know what is important uh, to how they're dealing with problems, and and just how they're seeing the market change. And so, you know, again, I've I've been very lucky in my career to. Uh, not just have one mentor, but dozens of mentors and, and be able to, to learn from each one.
1: Cool. Yeah, so that's great. Um, thank you so much for your time. It was really uh, impressive um, uh, to hear so much about uh, supply chain, supply chain management. Uh, what I really liked is that uh, when you told me 80% of the headaches uh, come from the way you design your supply chain um, and, and that people just just think um, about how to launch, and don't think further. So you, you need to focus also on the forecast to, to really um, know already what will happen after the launch, not just plan until the launch um, to, to, to avoid all those headaches. And uh, that there is no universal strategy for supply chain management. So every business needs the, 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 the very own strategy, very individual and really needs to be planned ahead. So this was really um, very, very, inf- very good information for our listeners. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, wish you good luck and uh, stay safe. Thank you so much.
0: And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app, and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.